Welcome to Victory Fellowship's online podcast library. We hope that you enjoy this message today. You know, I've been, um, I've been teaching the last couple of months and on Thursday nights on the book of Hebrews. And, and one of the benefits of, of teaching the book of Hebrews is I get to saturate myself in that book um, over and over and over and over and over again. And um, it's, it's one of the most powerful, one of the most powerful books in the Bible. I love, I love the book of Hebrews from, from cover to cover. And it gives us, um, really, it's, it's, I'd have to say it's one of the most, if there, if there were degrees of relevancy, I'd have to rate this right at the top of relevancy to our modern society, is, this, is the book of Hebrews. And, and the reason I say that is the, the very reason the book was written. It was written to, of course, the church in Jerusalem, and it was written just um, um, by Paul or someone influenced by Paul, one of his disciples, and it was written shortly before the temple was destroyed, before the sacrificial system ended, which would make it, oh, about 30 or 35 years after the initial outpouring of revival in Jerusalem. And um, as we know, a lot of things can happen in 30 or 35 years. A lot of changes can take place. And the church had experienced, you know, of course, huge times of revival and outpouring and ingathering and discipleship and, and everything that goes along with the move of God. But they also had experienced uh, an unparalleled or unprecedented season of, of persecution and attack and ridicule that came not from, from within their own ranks, from the Jewish community that despised Christianity like Paul the Apostle did before he was born again. And so as a result, they had, been, they had gone into a season of, of backing away from the supernatural. They kept their box closed now. There was no more allowing the box to open up and the glory to come out in the services. Um, it had become very tight and structured and they'd moved more and more back into formalism and more and more back to the, to the traditions of the past and more and more back into the types and shadows of Old Testament Christianity into the sacrifices and the Levitical system and moving, moving away from new te- the New Testament power that's available to us in the name of Jesus. And the book of Hebrews is an incredible unveiling of what's been purchased for us through the blood of Jesus, an unveiling of the incredible heavenly ministry. It's the, it's the greatest look at the heavenly ministry of Jesus that we have in the scriptures. And very important to, to understand this is, is I, I've been sharing the last few weeks the, the, the heavenly ministry of Jesus, the high priesthood of Jesus is critical for us to experience the deeper life here on earth. And in this generation, in this generation, in light of all the other generations that have gone before us, in our generation, in our generation of increased secularism, today more than ever, we need the powerful presence of God amongst us. We need more than good sermons more than good formulas, more than good programs and good organizational structures and and more than nice, nice events in our church, more than good stuff for our kids and for our children and, and for youth and all of that stuff. We need God himself in the midst of our services. Without that, we've lost everything. 
We've lost everything. And, and that's the message of the book of Hebrews, calling them back in. He says, you've, you've drifted. One of the warnings that he gave is they, they, they were uh, like a boat that was drifting away from the life that they'd once tasted. They were drifting away, no longer anchored to Christ, no longer anchored to his word, but were drifting by the waves and the doctrines and the trials and the tribulations that were pummeling them. And they were drifting away from their uh, uh, access into the holiest of all, life in his presence. And that's what Hebrews is about. And, and one, of the, one of the great themes in the book is, is uh, found in Hebrews chapter eight, verse six, the new and better covenants. You know, and the, of course, the Old Testament was based on the old covenant given to Moses, but, but Jesus came and introduced a, a new and better covenant. And it says here, now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, Jesus. And it's talking about his heavenly ministry, his ministry today that he's currently fulfilling, seated at the right hand of God, seated there as our advocate, seated there as our intercessor, seated there as our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's our heavenly mediator. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Today, he has received a, a more excellent ministry inasmuch he's mediate, the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Now, of course, it starts off that we have a, a, a better priesthood, you know, because the, the priesthood in the Old Testament was, was consisted of, of people that had the same issues that we have. They had sin in their life. Before they offered a sacrifice for your sins, they had to offer a sacrifice for their own sins. So this new covenant, based on better promises, we have a better priest because our priest is sinless. He's the son of God and he's the son of man without spots, without sin. He's always been, he's the, the great I am that's lived from eternity and at the same time, he's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of a carpenter. He lives in both worlds. It says in Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, also there were many priests in the Old Testament because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save us to the uttermost. That means totally and completely and finally, eternally. He's able to save you completely in your spirit, in your mind, and in your body. And he's able to keep you to the end of your journey on earth. And he's able to keep you throughout time and space, through all eternity. He's able to save to the uttermost. He has a greater priesthood. To those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's a better priest because he, he, ministers before, he ministers before us as the son of God. He represents our father before us as God the son. He's a better priest because he represents to the father, this, the manhood, our manhood and our humanity. He represents us as the son of man before our heavenly father. No other person in all of time or history could fulfill that role is the mediator between God and man. He is the one who puts his hand on God and puts his hands on us. He is God himself and he's also one of us. Impossible. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh and he's become our heavenly high priest. He is the better sacrifice. Everyone say better sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament, every priest, they had to, what, their, what their job was every day their whole life was offering animal sacrifices. 
thousands and thousands of animals in Jerusalem were slaughtered. Every day the blood was flowing. Every day they were offering offerings and burning the offerings as offerings as a fragrant aroma before the Lord, the incense offering and the bird offerings before the Lord. This is what they did with their lives. These priests, it says, but Christ has become a high priest of good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with his hands. That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Everyone say with his own blood. With his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Oh yes, so these sacrifices were offered over and over and over again. You go read the story of just the one day when Solomon's temple was dedicated. There was thousands and thousands of sheep and goats and cows who were slain in that one day. Blood flowed like a river down the steps of Solomon's temple at the dedication. Why the extravagance? Why so much blood? It was a picture of the extravagance of God the Father offering his only son as a blood sacrifice to die and suffer and die on the cross. He bore my sin. His blood was spilt, poured down the cross to wash away my shame. Yeah, he offers a better sacrifice. He offered a sacrifice once and for all. As John the prophet proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. His blood washes me clean. His blood washes you clean. It's a better sacrifice. And he's, he, is, he is not only the priest, the better priest as son of God and son of man. He is the sacrifice itself. All of it was pointing to him. The clothes they wore were pointing to him. The deeds they did were pointing to them. The office they set in was pointing to him. The animals they offered were pointing to him. It was Christ, Christ, Christ. Everything you saw in the tabernacle was pointing to Jesus. And this is what Hebrews is trying to tell us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Oh, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So he was a better priest. He was a better sacrifice. And he offered a better baptism. You know, John the Baptist was the son of a priest. John the Baptist was a Levite, born in the tribe of Levi. He had a right to priestly duties. As a matter of fact, when, when John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, found out news that his wife was pregnant, he was doing his priestly duties in the temple. Him and his wife, Elizabeth, had lived for the Lord all of their lives, and all they ever wanted was to have a son, and she was barren, and now she was past childbearing age. She was an older woman. Not only was she barren in her youth, now she was past the age of childbearing. And Zacharias and his wife, Elizabeth, had a broken heart, and, and Zacharias, it came his one-time shot. He Once in his lifetime, he got to go offer the incense just outside the veil, the greatest honor in Zacharias' life. He was coming near to the Lord's. And as he came near to the Lord, an angel appeared to him. There hadn't been angelic appearances in Israel for 400 years. And an angel appeared to Zacharias and told him, you're going to have a son. He's going to go in the power of Elijah the prophet. He's going to be a voice crying in the wilderness. And when he's born, I want you to call him John. John was a priest. 
Now you know, he lived out in the wilderness. He went and he didn't live like the other priests. He dressed different from the other priests. He dressed like his forerunner, Elijah. He dressed with a camel skin coat. Like he, this guy was not trendy, he was not current, and he was anything but relevant. Totally out of the box. He was out, he wasn't holding seeker sensitive services. He was prophesying out in the desert and the power of God was on him. He never had a haircut once in his life. He had a beard and he had hair and he ate, he ate locusts and wild honey for his diet. And the hand of God was on him and he began to prophesy and he began to baptize. You know, that in the Old Testament, if you were, a, if you were, were gonna convert as a Gentile, if at some point in the process, not only were you circumcised, but you also were baptized. You were a pagan and you had to wash away your past as you were baptized in the Jewish faith. And, Zach, and John the Baptist began to baptize the people and he was, he was so radically saying, all of you, all of you sons and supposed sons and daughters of Abraham, you're all pagans. You all need to be baptized. You need to repent of your sins and come to God. And then he began to say, I'm a forerunner. God's preparing a way for one after me. I, and then he says in Matthew 3, of Matthew 3, 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John was prophesying about his heavenly ministry. Jesus never baptized anyone with the Holy Spirit until he sat down at the right hand of the Father, until the sacrifice had been offered, until he had taken his place as our Melchizedek, our heavenly high priest. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. The Father anointed him with the oil of gladness and called him. He and, and said, this, this is the son of my love. And he, he, he began to pour out the oil of gladness upon, upon his son. And that oil began to pour out upon the earth. In the day of Pentecost, they began to experience the, the power of his presence. An unprecedented outpouring began to fall on Peter and the other disciples, but it didn't stop on them. It, it went to the 120 in the room, and then it began to spill over into the thousands in the streets. And pa Peter began to prophesy, this is that which Joel prophesied. In the last days, I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh on all mankind and this my friends is the current ministry of Jesus yes this new and better covenant has a better baptism I'm yeah I've been baptized in water but I've also been baptized in something else as a matter of fact we are getting baptized in something else. I feel, I, it's like I feel this, 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 this heavenly cloud moving into the sanctuary. Even, even as I'm preaching this morning, there's a baptism in the cloud and there's a baptism in the river of the Holy Ghost. If anyone who has ears to hear this morning, you can step in, even in these moments, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, as the word of God is being preached, you can step under the influence of the mighty cloud of his presence. If his cloud appeared, 
under the old covenant, if his glory was present in the covenant established by blood of animals, how much more shall his presence come and fill the house if they poured out sacrifices on Solomon's court and the glory of the Lord filled that house at the response of blood sacrifices, how much more when the blood of his only son has been poured out and he himself is seated at the right hand of God. Today, my friends, while it's still called today, harden not your hearts, but draw near to God and worship him. Worship him and draw near to him. See him high and lifted up. See him as king of glory, as Lord of lords and king of kings. Honor him in his place as the heavenly high priest. Step into the baptismal waters. Oh yeah, he'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. Oh, it's a better, better covenant because it has a, a greater effect on us. It's able to cleanse even our conscience. Hebrews 9, the old covenant, the blood of goats and bulls couldn't cover our conscience. It would just kind of cover things over. It's like, you know, it's like the, the old story. You know, I remember the old cartoon. Someone would be sweeping the house. They'd look around and then they'd lift up the carpet, sweep the dirt underneath the carpet. The dirt's still there. You just can't see it. That's the way the blood of the old covenant was. It was a covering. It never did away with it. There was always a remember. A reminder in the back of that, that I, I was that person that did those things. But the blood of Jesus is different. It says in Hebrews 9, 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, how much more will he cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Jesus is real. The blood of Jesus has been shed by his, our Savior, by our heavenly high priest. He is our heavenly sacrifice. And we come under the influence of his presence. We come under the influence of his word. We confess our sins to him. He is our heavenly advocate. He's faithful and just to wash us clean from every sin. Our sins, though they were like scarlet, we become white as snow. And he casts our sins in the depths of the sea, never to be remembered again. No matter what you've done, no matter who you violated, no matter how dark a stain is on your soul, the blood of Jesus is able to cleanse and wash away the most filthy stain and not only forgive and not over cover up, remove the guilty stain from your soul. If you remember what Paul called himself, he called himself the chief of sinners. The reason he called himself that is because he actually committed the worst possible crime, the worst sin a human can commit, which is to actually violate God's sons and daughters. There's no greater sin before God. As a matter of fact, he was responsible for persecuting the church. He was responsible for the first martyr, Stephen. And if you remember on the Damascus Road, Jesus himself appeared to him on the Damascus Road, standing there, looked at the Pharisee of Pharisees. And you know what he said to him? Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's what he said. He was convicted. He fell on his face. 
He was born again. His life was changed. He became the apostle to the Gentiles. He wrote most of the New Testament. And the rest of his days, he called himself the chief of sinners because he had violated Almighty God. He had killed his sons and daughters. But even that deep stain on his soul was washed away. And the guilt and the shame of it was washed away. In his latter days, he said, I'm not aware of any sin on my soul. My conscience is clean before Almighty God. The blood of Jesus. I don't care what you've done or what you've done, been, where you've been. I don't care what kind of shame you're carrying on your soul. I don't care what it is. His blood is greater. He's able to wash it away and make you whole totally and completely and take it off your conscience. He gives us a new heart. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit, Ezekiel 36. This couldn't happen in the Old Testament. I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll take a, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll keep my judgments, and you will do them. Inside of the, if you went into the, the holy of holies, which you couldn't do, But if you were able to go into the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, and if you were able to go up to the Ark of the Covenant, which you couldn't do, and if you were able to lift the the mercy seat off the Ark of the Covenant and peer inside of it, which you couldn't do, but if you could, and you looked inside, you would see the two tables of stone that had the handprint of God on it where he wrote the Ten Commandments. They were inside that Ark of the Covenant. And it was in there because it was a type and shadow of the day when we would become the tabernacle of God. And if you go to the inner sanctum in the depths of our soul, deep down on the inside where the treasure is hidden away in the ark of the covenant of a born again Christian, and you open their soul, written on their soul by the finger of God, is his very word. The Old Testament didn't have a, have a b- ability to change us. And no, it just, oh, the Old Testament revealed our sinfulness. It convicted us of our sins. It didn't have the power to change us into new people. It told us we shall not steal, but we did anyway. You shall not lie, but you did anyway. Shall not commit adultery, but you did anyway. You shall not covet, but you did anyway. But this new and better covenant not only washes away our sin, But his spirit enters inside of us and he causes us to be born again and puts a new nature inside of us and he writes his word on our hearts. And now we have the ability by the grace of God, day by day, step by step, depending on his word and depending on his presence, we have the ability by God, by the power of his spirit, not by might nor by power, by the power of his spirit to live a testimony, to live godly in Christ Jesus, to say no to adultery, to say no to stealing, and to live a quiet and peaceful godly life, to live like Christ. This is how he says it in Hebrews 8. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. 
Because finding fault with him, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant and disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with them on their, uh, with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. So that's, it's on my heart now. I have a chance. I don't have to live like the other people in this world. I don't have to compromise. I don't have to participate with their dirty jokes. I don't have to participate with their filthy lifestyle. I don't have to act the way they act or or dance the way they dance or or drink the way they drink or, or, or dress the way they dress. I'm a different kind of person. Christ is in me. He's written his word on my heart. His spirit's inside of me. I have a better priest. I have a connection to my God. I've been breaking my heart and opening my heart up before the Lord and his presence is on me. I want to finish this up here. <laughs> this, we have a better temple. We have a better temple. The Old Testament was a temple made with stones. It was a type and shadow. They were so about their temple. Jesus, Matthew 24, Lord, is this, when, look at this beautiful temple. Isn't it great? Isn't it gorgeous? And he said, this whole thing's going to be torn down. They're going to, they're, it's going to be devastated. The Gentiles are going to walk over. It's going to be torn to the ground. This isn't the temple. And then in First Peter, Peter preached about that temple. He says, we're coming to him, to Jesus, as a living stone. Jesus was the first stone laid in the real temple. He was the first stone. He was the cornerstone, the first stone in the foundation. The foundation of that stone were the apostles and prophets. The foundation of that temple, the apostles and prophets. Each one of us are living stones being built together today. Oh yeah, I believe in the, or the, in the official church, whatever they call it. I don't believe in the organized church. Hogwash. I absolutely believe in it. He, he is all about his church. It's what he purchased. It's what he's doing today. It's all he's doing today is his church. I'm totally about his church. The one thing I, we, we shall not do is talk bad about his church. You'll find yourself like Paul looking into the eyes of Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. He was rejected by men, but chosen by God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's contained in this scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. This foundation and then the house is being built. What is the purpose of his house? For the glory. That's the purpose. It's the glory. It's the temple for the glory, for God to meet with man, 
for people in this community in New Orleans to be able to come to a place where there's people that love the Lord and love one another. They welcome the Holy Spirit and they can come in from a, being brutalized, from going through from all the lies and the garbage and the temptations that they face seven days a week. They can find a shelter, a refuge. They can come into a, a house of God where God's glory is welcomed, where he's appreciated and where they can get under the influence. It's the glory of his presence. We're being built together. You're a living stone and he's put you at Victory Fellowship as a member of this particular expression of his local church to be a dwelling place for the glory of God in Metairie and in Mandeville and in Broad Streets. God's glory. Let me finish with this, this last scripture. It's a better covenant because it gives us an access to the deeper life, the life behind the veil. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, Christ came as the high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. At the, the expense of, of boring somebody, I'm gonna, I have one short paragraph that I'm gonna finish with and then we're gonna pray. This is Andrew Murray's comments about this last verse that I just read. If you, can, if you can pay attention to anything today, pay attention to this. Yes, Christ passed from the holy place into the holiest of all. When he died, the veil was rent in twain, just like you saw in the Passion of the Christ. The t- temple was, was rent in two, signifying the way into the glory has been opened for mankind. The two components were made one. The priest who was in the holy place could see and could enter into the holiest. All that was in the holiest, the light of God's presence between the cherubim could shine unhindered into the holy place. In Christ, the veil of flesh was rent asunder and taken away. The free access to God was opened up, not only as a thing of right and title in virtue of our pardon, but as a thing of power and living reality. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be the spirit of Christ dwells in you. When the veil was rent and Christ entered in, the two abodes which had been the dwelling of the priest were thrown into one. The eyes and hearts of men might freely and bodily look up and rise up and greet their God and their Father. In Christ they had their place before him. All the light and love and holiness of the Most High God shone into this holy place. The Spirit of God as he was received by Christ from God the Father on his ascension passed down into the worshipers. The Pentecostal gift brought down from above the higher life into which the blessed Son had entered. The Pentecostal gift brought down from above the higher life into which the blessed son had entered. He became a man and entered back into the glory that he left. He entered back in on our behalf to bring us into that intimate relationship with his father. The Holy Spirit made the light and love and holiness of the inner sanctuary not only a vision, a revelation, but a possession and an experience. This is not theology that I'm preaching. This is the reality of Christ. This is what we've been called to, this higher life in Christ. You know, this morning I saw an email thing that came out. I think it was like GodTube or something. I didn't even watch the video, but it was about these two young girls in Nigeria that were being persecuted by the Muslims. It's happening all over the world right now. Christian teenage girls. And um, the, the, it was so awesome. Their life, their, their t- I have to go back and read it, but their, their names were, were beautiful Christian names like Victory and 
and Grace or Hope, beautiful Christian names. And um, the name of their church, this is why I even brought it up, the name of their church was the Deeper Life Church. That was the name of their church. Oh, this is awesome. I wish I could go attend that church. I bet it's a powerful place. But to be able to stand for, for, teen, and they, you know, for teenagers to stand up against those jihadists and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. That's powerful. You may not get your opportunity in this life, but maybe you will. It better be real, my friends. This world is a scary place. It better be real. I'm telling you, this seeker-sensitive stuff doesn't cut it when the real world hits. When Katrina comes banging on your door, you better have a hold of the anchor that enters within the veil. You better have some substance in your experience. Get a hold of God. Better let God get a hold of you. Yield yourself to Him. Thanks for listening. Check out our website at victoryfellowship.net for service times and locations.